To close out the year, we're going to be going through kind of a short series. Um, we're going to jump off of the wonderful topic of English grammar. It's a funny and confusing thing. Uh, I know this especially because, not just uh, my own experience with it, but uh, living in a foreign country, uh, you get to hear the complaints about the English language. Uh, this week, um, or last week, uh, Katie, uh, she's been taking classes at uh, WC. Am I not on? I'm not on. I'm getting the... Okay, we're good now. Uh, we, uh, um, uh, she's been taking classes at WCTC for uh, doing, like, I, I forget what the exact class is, but I like English creative writing or English, uh, some type of a background. But uh, she had an assignment this week, uh, and it was... Uh, a bunch of sentences, and they had to show their English grammar, and they were divided into these groups and, and had to put these sentences and correct them, and then the, the best group, uh, the lowest score of things wrong, got cookies, I guess. Uh, and so this was one of the sentences. This was the sentence that won her group the, the, um, the cookie. Uh, Katie won the cookie. Uh, along with the others. Um, they didn't have to share the same cookie. But they had to correct this statement. And uh, after some discussion, now Katie disagreed with, with some of the other classmates, but uh, they won out and she didn't win out. And this was how the, the class decided that this should be fixed. Now they won the cookie. I see a, a shaking of the head. This is English grammar. The English teacher said they won the cookie because they had no points against. They got a perfect score. And this was, of course, if you're going shaking your head, you're saying, wait a minute, this is the correct one. All right, because statements were. All right, you can just simplify that. and uh, that, That's how I was taught, simplify the sentence and see if it still is correct. So even in English teacher got an a, a, a English grammar thing wrong, which I would think is, I'm not an English teacher. I would think this was a pretty obvious one, but English not always so easy. I, I do remember my, my, uh, my, one of my teachers in, in high school, my, my senior teacher, who I could not stand, uh, Mr., um, uh, Mr. Panini. He said, if it sounds right, it's wrong. That was what he told us. Um, we like to classify things, and that often creates problems. We like things to be exactly as they, uh, this, is, this is how I learned this, and this is this, in this situation, and this is this. And in English, we have nouns that are adjectives. We have prepositions that are adverbs or adjectives. And we have just all sorts of things you can't classify. And we are going to look at some nouns that are verbs. We're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We're going to look at some context to this, so I don't want to dwell on the context of this. Uh, but if we back up, and, and, and of course we know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. And... Uh, that 1 Corinthians is subdivided into two sections. One is the description of love, 
And then he gets into this more complex section that we, we stop here and go, okay, the, the rest of this is kind of a little bit more difficult. But, but that section begins, because we talk about the greatest of these, and we are going to talk about what this means to be the greatest, but we do need to understand the, 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 the basis of the contrast of, of these verses beginning in verse 8. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. This last section specifically is dealing with a comparison of these different things based on how long they were going to endure. Now, it is going to be true that qualitatively, love is the greater of these things. But that's not really what he's driving at in this passage. He's talking about a comparison based on time. And, and as he's trying to, uh, verse, uh, chapter, beginning in chapter 12 through chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, and we have a, a, on, the, on the website, you can go through and, and, and look at the, uh, follow the links, and there's a class on that. I'm sure it's probably by text. You can see uh, this section if you want a more detailed um, discussion of that. But this, this section from chapter 12 through 14 is talking about largely the miracles, and the usage of the miracles. And, and this section is telling them how long they're going to last for. And, he, and he's trying to, of course, draw a bigger lesson of, of the more significant things. In contrast with the miracles. And so, you got a little diagram if you want to look at this. He, he contrasts based on three things. He, he says... The miracles, these, these different prophecies and tongues and all these things, they're going to pass away. In other words, they're very short term. But he says, now abide three things. Faith, hope, and love. These, these are going to continue. These are longer term. But one of these, one of these is really going to surpass all of these in terms of how long it's going to last. And that is love. Now, faith and hope, the reason they're going to be a shorter term than love is because there's going to come a point where they are not necessary. There's going to come a point where I don't need to rely on other intellectual things to believe in God. I'm going to be there and I'm going to see him. I'm not going to have to trust my deductions and I'm not going to have to trust the scriptures to know his existence. But at that point where that cutoff is, Love is still going to continue. We're going to see why. We're going to talk about love today. We're going to begin with the greatest of these, love. And then we're going to start talking first about the noun. Because it's a noun, but it's a verb. It says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We talk about lawlessness versus love. Often words are built on other words. So, so we know what the meaning of words are, right? Long-suffering. I don't have to... Well, we, we understand that. We can wrap our head around that one. It means suffering for a long time. Right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the word. But, but love, the noun love, the Greek word. That's, that's a word which doesn't 
have a definition evident within the word. Right? Agape. What does it mean? You kind of have to know what it means to know what it means. And what I mean by that is, is you, if you grew up in the culture, you would grasp that word, but, but it's not something that a dictionary can say, well, this root means this. It doesn't we kind of end up having to figure out what is intended by this word, by the descriptions of it. And that's why passages like 1 Corinthians are so valuable to us. We, we, we get it described, but not really defined. It's not a word that, that makes a definition. And so here, this passage... He describes... Love in contrast to sin in a couple of ways. And, and, and we could look at this larger passage. We could probably go very deeply into this. But I want to specifically look at some personal outcomes of sin. And it, it has so many, but just a few here. Here he says it has a cooling. Of, sin has this cooling effect on love. He says because of lawlessness, the love of many grows cold. He also says that, that what's going to happen is going to be this betrayal and this hating of one another. And I want to explain why this happens. What is the connection? I want to do this with a, a diagram here. You know, that's confusing. But see all this, how people interconnect. And in a normal relationship, because love is an aspect of relationship. And this is why, by the way, this is why love is going to continue eternally. Because it is the foundation of relationships. So as long as you have normal relationships, you're going to have a need for love. That's why it's eternal. And a normal relationship has this symbiosis where, where I'm giving attention and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on other people. And at the same time, there, there, there's this interaction between us, looking at the needs or, or spending time, whatever the thing is, there's a give and take. That's what a relationship is. That's when it's normal. But when we throw sin into the equation, something changes. Sin is about one thing. Sin is about what I get. Sin is about something I want. I need attention. I need this. I need that. I want this. I want that. And you're not giving it to me. Or other people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And giving it to me, so I'm going to take it. And so as a result, there's betrayal. Oh, I'm not talking about major betrayal necessarily. It might be I feel like I need attention on me for something. And so I might get that simply by the way I speak about somebody else. That was a friend. That kind of betrayal. I can't believe that person said that about me. Oh, sin has entered the equation. Something has, has decided in their mind that, that the focus needs to be on them. 
And as time goes on, what happens? There's a cooling of the love. There's a cooling of this relationship. <coughs> That's what Matthew's, uh, or what Jesus is describing here in the book of Matthew. And this is the link. This is why that the end result is that attraction for other people. That's what this is. It's an attraction. Love is an attraction. It gets cold. Because I am prioritizing myself. We go back to that idea that love is the greatest of these. And he's talking about in, in contrast with faith and hope. And those are great. Galatians 5, 6 compares them. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Not even just faith, but the idea is that faith properly operates with love. And so love is the key element, even in faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, he says, Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So love is the thing that validates the hope. And so, so it's greater. It's this, the, the noun love, the, the thing love, whatever it is, whatever definition we try to put in that box, it is the greatest of these. It's what really makes all these other things around it function as it's supposed to. So we're going to move on to love the verb. First John 4, 7 and 8, and we know this well. I'll memorize this at camps and Sunday schools. Beloved, let us love one another. You know, you, this is one of those verses. It's very difficult to read without singing it. If you know the, the, the camp song, right? For love is God. And I can't even quote it the right way out of this. I'm, just, I, I'm quoting it out of the song here. Whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this we have an unexpected definition. Oh, we've, we've, we've memorized this and memorized this and memorized this, but there's, a, there's an unexpected definition in this passage. And that is that love is a compelled behavior. This is such a, a nice sounding camp song. And this is not a nice verse. He's requiring love. He's telling you have to love. Now, I want to think about this. Remember, this is, love is an attraction. And so really this is an illogical thing if you think about it in the terms of any other type of attraction. A commandment to be attracted to other people. How many of you made a conscious decision to be attracted to the person that became your husband or wife? No one. Now I don't know if, I don't know how you either saw each other across the room and it was or, or it was a, a period of time in which you slowly, or maybe one of you liked them and spent time until the other person kind of got a hold of it. Or, I don't know, but none of you said, you know, I'm going to like this person. 
and I will, I will eventually convince myself that I want to marry that person. But right now, I don't want to. No one ever did that. That's not how attraction works. This is what really, essentially, John is writing. Love one another. Be attracted to each other. And it's ridiculous. But there it is. Intentional attractions. Very difficult. In college, I had this uh, moment where I was going to be mature. I'm an adult now. And um, I hate liver. Despise liver. My mom loves liver. She cooked liver and onions and all that stuff. And I said, you know, really, I should be able to overcome this. Right? No, isn't it a, a you know this this idea that we can't you know, you're you're supposed to like it until you or try it until you like it. I'm gonna learn. I can really. It's probably mostly in my head. Mom likes it. She loves this stuff. So why can't I? So I'm like, all right. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna remove. I haven't had it in years. She made us eat it once. When I was a little kid, she's like, you'll try it once. Okay, I'll try it once. I'll hate it once. But I'll, 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 it's just to be a permanent situation. I hate it once, but it's like a really long time. <clears throat> no, I, I, I haven't tried. So maybe it wasn't really as bad as I thought. Nope, it was as bad as I thought. <laughs> I tried to remove all preconceived ideas, and, and I cooked. Oh, it was horrible. Uh, like three bites down, I'm like, this, this just, I, I can't. Okay, I've, I've given it my best shot. Love is the greatest because it has the greatest degree of difficulty. If you think about it, faith and hope. What, what do faith and hope rely on? We're going to come to faith and hope in the next couple of weeks. Faith and hope simply really rely on an intellectual understanding of them. If you can come to an understanding of something, you can have faith. That's really what it... Love doesn't do that. You can, you can try to convince yourself of a fact that doesn't make you love. It's not simply... Intellectual. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These are the greatest. This verb to, to, to do, this love, is so great because it relies on more than intellectual things. If you don't like somebody... You can tell yourself all the nice things about that person. You can go, you know what? Really, that person has this thing about them and this thing about them. I really should like them. That's not going to make you like them. Not any more than I like liver. Right? It's not an intellectual cape. It's not something... Love is not summarized in a factual analysis of the person. It's not how it operates. 
It operates differently. It's premised on our emotions. It is an engagement. And that's what attraction is. Right? You look at couples, you go, good grief. How did that guy marry that girl? Hey, attraction. It's unexplainable. It doesn't, it doesn't come under the rules of intellectual capability. Doesn't. Just, it's illogical. They're just attracted. Really, understanding the verb requires us to comprehend the noun. The noun is the hardest thing to figure out, I think. Oh, we know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. But really, you think about what 1 Corinthians, and I mean the, the fun part to read. The, love is this, and love is that. Really, if you go back and look at it, it's not. It's really about what, what love isn't. <laughs> Most of those things, love doesn't do that, and you better not do that, and don't do that, because those aren't love. It's not rude. You can, if you think about the chapter, it's not really a how-to. I cannot be rude and still not love. He's just saying, listen, these are indications that you don't have love. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a how-to. It's telling me these are the signs that you've gotten off the path somewhere, but it doesn't really ever tell me how to get on the path to love. It's just saying these are the red flashing lights that love is not in this relationship. You're rude. You're seeking yourself and all the other things that go along with it. But if I want to know how to do it, there is a text. Ephesians chapter 4. And and, um, I'm going to read two sections out of this. Ephesians chapter 4. The first one, short. This is, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the word bond is important because, first of all, the first thing that that we're going to look at in love is that there has to be a connection. That's what attraction is. There has to be the foundation for an attraction. There has to be something there. As we said, it's, it's the relationship. But chapter 4 also contains a larger, I'm going to read a larger section, then we're just going to look at a couple of verses, but it's, a, it's a, a greater thought. And there's a lot of details, and we're not going to take all of the details out of it. But in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he says, He gave, himself, he gave him, uh, some as apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints of the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a structure measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human uh, cunning and cleverness, the te- techniques of deceit. 
But tr- speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body fitted and joined together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You see a lot more of how-to in this, don't you? There's a lot more of, of instruction about how the body builds itself up in love and the various elements that go into it. And I want to just look at two. And they're found in this beginning section. The first of all is, is activity together. Doing stuff. He talks about the apostles and, and the, the prophets and the elders and the evangelists and all this, this group of, of the structure. But the structure is there to do what? To provide an environment where we do things together, constructive things together. And that's what builds when you're engaged in an activity together, you learn about each other, the, the things, the priorities, and there's this give and take, that relationship, that giving and taking. And you, Philip, this is how some of you became attracted to the person that you might not have been attracted to at first. You started spending time. That's the other thing. It takes time. He says, until. That's an important word, until. It suggests time. We have to spend time together. And not just time chatting. I mean, that's, that's good too. But time doing stuff. This is, this is how Paul describes the development of love. Spending time and being productive together. Because this is where we learn to love. Might not ever love liver. But I can learn to be attracted to people. I have strange kids. I have three strange kids. Because I come from a Russian background. My wife comes from an Irish background. And we have three boys that do not like potatoes. I'm not sure how that happened. When I was <clears throat> little, little child, I remember fondly, especially in the summer, going to College Square Pizza. We had to walk down there. It was four or five blocks. And uh, on occasion, we'd order a pizza. I, I got to carry back the pizza. Tom almost, my brother, my older brother almost never went. He waited for the pizza. But he had a special request. Half pepperoni and half mushroom. His half was the mushroom. Mom and I ate the pepperoni, and he wanted the mushroom. He wanted the mushroom specifically so he could have his own half of the pizza. Smart. Well, it was safe. He was as safe as if he threw liver on that half. <laughs> this is what I know about my kids. I love mushroom pizza now. Tried it. And maybe the first time it wasn't the greatest, but I'll try it again. I don't know if I could do that with liver. It's possible. It's possible. 
I know it's possible. I know there's people that love that stuff. I, there are so many things I love that I did not love. Stewed tomatoes. Love stewed tomatoes. I couldn't choke one of those down when I was a kid. There are lots of things that I've learned to like. Coconut. Oh. But trying it. Trying it again. Trying it again. It's not too bad. I drink my coffee without sugar. There's somebody in, there was somebody involved in that. And I used to like dump lots of sugar. I've tried something different. Found out, yeah, that's not too bad. That's a little bit better than I thought. That's just the way we, we, we grow. I know my kids are going to be older and they're going to eat potato salad. They, they don't know that yet, but I do. They'll swear they're not going to, but I, I know better. As we leave, I want to encourage us to share one another. Share one another. Experience one another. You have a wonderful time. You get some, most people get a little extra vacation. Spend time. Pick a family. Spend time with another family. Learn people. An attraction develops. Wow, did you know that? I've, I've seen people that, that do this that you think don't have anything in common and pretty soon they're, they're like, wow, I didn't know that person was really close to that person. Wow. They don't seem to have anything in common. Those two families. Why? They just spent time together and developed a bond. This is what makes us a family. To experience, to share, to learn new attractions within the body of Christ. Turn it. Please stand. Why keep Jesus?